Hello, 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 everybody, and welcome back to the Industrial Cybersecurity Pulse podcast. Happy to have you back. I am thing number one, Gary Cohen. I'm person number two, Tyler Wall. I'm a thing. He's a person. That's the way it works. Uh, happy to have you here today. Another great podcast for you. Today, we have uh, Lee McWhorter, who is the CTO of Covered Six, a very interesting company that does both cybersecurity and physical security. Uh, as our guest, and he's going to talk about uh, a topic that has been very important in the cybersecurity world lately, which is the cybersecurity skills gap. So he's been doing cybersecurity or cybersecurity training for many, many years and uh, has a pretty unique insight into what's going on out there and how we can maybe upskill employees or uh, get more people into the field of cybersecurity, which is desperately needed right now. Yeah, uh, the whole training people up cyber wise and helping bridge that bridge that gap that's a little foreshadowing for you which you will not understand at all and only gary and i will understand that but bridging that gap uh to help you know make the workforce stronger and you know just to help get people more jobs in the cybersecurity space as well because there is a need for more cyber personnel Exactly. But before we get to that, it's my turn to ask the question of the week to my wonderful co-host, Tyler Wall. Tyler, I'm going to get low for this one. I'm going to NPR it. What was your favorite year of school and why? My favorite year of school? I'm going to bring you on a little journey here back to sixth grade. Now, sixth grade was the closest I ever got to private school. I was in public school my whole life. But in sixth grade, I was in this little gem of a, of a school called Zoo School. And Zoo School, as it sounds like, takes place at the zoo. So I was I went to John Ball Zoo in Grand Rapids, Michigan every day. My dad would drop me off every morning. And really, the only difference between Zoo School, well, there's a lot of differences, I guess, between Zoo School and regular school. But um, how it's distinguished a little more academically is there's a much stronger emphasis on zoology, ecology, and astronomy. And you just fed animals and pet animals all day? Or were you actually working with the animals? Or were you was it just school and you were in a classroom at a zoo? So it was... It would depend on the unit, right? Because we, we usually had zoology going on pretty pretty much throughout the whole year because it's zoo school. Um, so we'd spend a lot of time like in certain uh, places, like within the zoo, like we'd probably hop around or whatever, do like a lesson here, lesson here, lesson here, uh, you know, talking about everything from really at the time it was more of a hot button topic, but like evolution and, uh, you know, things of that nature. Um, but yeah, we spent, we spent some time with them animals, you know, we cooked a lot of fry bread, made apple cider, normal school things, uh, maple syrup. Uh, we had a couple camping trips that would always come up throughout the year because it's zoo school. So the first one was like in October. It was pretty short, just the three days, two nights. But the big one was at the end of the year, which was seven days long. And um, I urge you all to go watch this TV show called Kid Nation. And it's essentially a game show where they throw kids between the age of nine and 14 into this town. And they're supposed to try and run the town. And it's like a whole competition. That's exactly what this felt like. And by the way, that show was canceled after a year due to like child endangerment allegations. Uh, you can find it on YouTube. But um, that's what this kind of that's what this camp kind of felt like the seven day camp. Um, and one of the nights 
was like a survive in the wilderness night right so up until that camping trip we would we would learn like a bunch of different skills obviously important life skills like being able to pitch a tent with like one mil plastic and how to start fires and things like that and so this is all to prepare you for this one night out in the wilderness where you only have this plastic and like a little medical kit and then that's really it and they just kind of throw you in there and like you, you learn about like how to find certain vegetation that you can eat for the night or whatever and then um but the night i was doing it uh it was like downpouring like torrential downpour so there's no fire that's going to be start right um so i was just me soaking wet in my jeans and my long sleeve shirt and my hiking boots laying under this one mil plastic shivering waiting for the morning to come so it could all be over it was quite the situation i don't know if there were any waivers signed there probably were and i just never saw them because i was like 10 but it was it was wild that's by far like looking back i'm like i can't believe they actually let us do that I'm sure your parents signed some sort of waiver that said, we will not sue zoo school if my child is eaten by a bear. But yeah, it's uh, I truly could talk to you about this all day because I find it fascinating. A Partially because I have a sixth grader in my home and I can't imagine sending him off into the woods for seven days. By the way, it is my son. I don't just have a random sixth grader living in my home. He's <laughs> not my roommate. Um, but yeah, that's... Uh, um, a very interesting way to spend your sixth grade year. It also sounds like maybe it was a labor camp. They had you making syrup and apple cider. and Yeah. Kind of felt like there was like a lot of physical labor involved, like much more than I would have expected for sixth graders, you know, running up and downstairs felt like boot camp almost sometimes. <laughs> so it was, yeah, I got a little, got a little wild, but there is a zoo school reunion coming up on October 14th. So I will be at that. For... So, so if you want to see Tyler, go to the John Ball Zoo Zoo yes. School Reunion in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I was listening. From 2 p.m. Uh, to 7 p.m. There you go. Uh, although I could talk about zoo school all day, I figure we should probably not and maybe talk about cybersecurity for a few moments, although I will ask you about this after we get off uh, recording here. Um, again, guest today, Lee McWhorter, talking about the cybersecurity skills gap. Really important thing. I, I, I think... You know, it's not the first time we've talked about this on the podcast. It comes up over and over and over again. There is simply a need for competent, trained bodies in this space. I, I think the the World Economic Forum, which if they're delving into this and the need for cybersecurity, it's a big deal. But they had a, a report that came out recently talking about how the rapid expansion of the digital economy, our growing reliance on it, digital transformation how critical it's making cybersecurity. And according to this report, they said the world needs 3.4 million cybersecurity experts, although we'd call them practitioners, to support today's global economy. Uh, but the industry is obviously struggling to fill that gap. There are ways to do this, but it really starts with training. Um, and Lee talks to us a little bit in the interview, which you will hear upcoming, about why this gap continues to exist. And, and a lot of it, and this is something we ha that has been brought up on this before, is that people are looking for the perfect fit for, I think maybe it was Debbie Gordon that talked to us, called it the purple unicorn, trying to find the perfect person. If I need someone who is going to be protecting the physical resources at my meat packing plant, 
which I now have, um, that, you know, you're looking for somebody, an entry level person who's got years of experience and has worked in the meatpacking industry. And sometimes you don't need to find the perfect person. And this is something that Lee talks about at length is what you need is a, a competent person who has passion and aptitude and maybe some tech skills, although that's not even that necessary. And then you train them, train them to do the things that you need them to do. It's why, you know, the military continues to crank out excellent cybersecurity practitioners. They're not people who have gone in looking to be in cybersecurity, but they train them to do it. Yeah, one of the conversations we've also had before, too, with, I mean, the likes of Sam May specifically hmm. about the cyber skills gap is, I mean, it's one of the more interesting discussions I think that we could hash out all day is um, the difference between a labor shortage and a skills gap shortage, right? Because there isn't a labor shortage. There are plenty of willing to work people, but it's it's companies needing to, well, either A, companies just like lowering their standards and their barriers to entry and just being willing to train these people to um, to work. Because I mean, part of the challenge is just finding people that are willing to work. I think once you find someone that's willing to work, they're willing to do what it takes. But uh, the other part of the coin, of course, is you could um, just, I don't know, what Lee does is he, with his um, uh, company is like, he offers like a training course. Like, you know, having these... Um, these people that want to want to work within the cybersecurity industry take some training courses over the course of X amount of weeks. And then now they're up to up to up to scuff, at least to the point where they can start just entering more of like a mentorship phase at a company where, you know, they're kind of just being shown the ropes and what they're supposed to do and this and that. So, I mean, a skills gap shortage, it really I mean, it's always going to exist, but it's something that shouldn't have to. You know, it should just be companies should just be willing to train. I mean, no matter the industry, it's not even just around the cyber industry. Yeah, and it's 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 not a bad profession. It pays pretty well. Uh, <laughs> thanks to all the people hacking into systems out there, there's pretty good job security. I mean, you have to stay up with emerging tech and continue your education. But uh, but yeah, it's good job security. And Lee's company specifically covered six deals a lot, works a lot with veterans, which is a, a great core to work with because these are people who have served their country before, generally, or at least often believe in the public good and want and a lot of times want to continue to serve. Um, so a very, very interesting uh, story with Covered Six, Lee McWhorter. Also want to point out, we met Lee at RSA in San Francisco. Uh, the, the beautiful things that happen at big conferences like this, met him in an elevator. Didn't have a meeting with him, just met him in an elevator, one of our people from our company and started talking to him. And uh, interesting guy. So it was like a little meet cute that we had with Lee McWhorter. Wow. Yeah, no, that was a yeah. When that happened, that was pretty funny. So let's go ahead and uh, and introduce him and bring him in here. Lee McWhorter is the CTO at Covered Six. He's been involved in IT since its early days and has more than 30 years of experience. He's a highly sought after professional who first learned about identifying weaknesses in computer networks, systems, and software when internet access was achieved just using a modem. Modem? Anyone remember a modem? Anyone? Dial up? No? McWhorter currently holds an MBA and over 20 industry certifications in areas such as IT, system administration, networking, programming, Linux, IoT, and cybersecurity. Uh, that's the story of Lee McWhorter. Let's go ahead and bring him in. Lee, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. 
Yeah. So with all of these, we like to start off by asking our guests about like their background, how they got into the space they're in. So I'm going to ask you that very question right now. Uh, what's your background? How did you get into where you are now? Well, it's kind of a little bit of a convoluted story. I started off as a as a kid learning how to program. I convinced my family to bring in a little computer called a Commodore VIC-20. And the 20 stood for having 20 kilobytes, yes, kilobytes of RAM. And I taught myself to program because I wanted more games. Um, and I bought a book called 101 Basic Games and typed all these things in. And it seemed like none of them worked. So I, it's how I taught myself how to program and then learned to hack over dial-up. You know, always a good guy, just exploring, never doing anything bad. But that's sort of what got my interest into tech and sort of leads to ultimately where I went. But I didn't I didn't go to school for this. I went to school. I have an MBA in economics and finance. Uh, my family has a lot of business background. And uh, so I kind of went that road for school. They were still teaching mainframes and stuff when I was a kid. And that's like, that's not really the future. Um, and so as we move forward in life, I kind of got into tech a lot after college. Um, even though I had that MBA, people were paying me to set up networks and set up point of sale systems and anything in those early days. And probably the biggest change for me was I really luckily stumbled upon the proposal for the web when Tim Berners-Lee first put out the RFC for that back in the day. And I was blown away by what it could do. Sadly for me, I'm terrible at picking the small picks. So I didn't pick the right stocks. I didn't get to retire yet, but I did, you know, it did change my life. I wrote thousands of websites, um, paid my bills for many, many years, but defending those websites has sort of brought me back full circle and how I got into cybersecurity. And so I've been doing that for many, many years. And that's been my expertise and what I've been doing for the last dozen plus years. One of the things we'll talk to you about quite a bit today is, is training, so, you know, how to how to train cybersecurity practitioners. You've taken a shift in your career to where you're doing a lot of training at this point. How did you make that shift from, you know, being the person hacking always is the good guy, but hacking sites to uh, to training people? Well, I've always kind of been a trainer and I've taught at almost every place I've ever worked, uh, especially in the college and academic world. I've taught for Midwestern State and Tulane University. And I would teach both business classes and economics, but I would teach computing classes. Um, I taught some web publishing classes for Tulane in the early days and uh, even have a little bit of claim to frame flame that I taught their first ever fully online class after I'd moved back from New Orleans to Texas. Um, and even though I've done a lot, a lot of stints in the corporate world, there was always training there, training staff, training employees, you know, cybersecurity awareness training is, you know, part and parcel of the world. So I've always done training. But in the last number of years, I've, I've had the privilege of being able to help a number of institutions create new cybersecurity programs. And that's what I did when I was referred to by CompTIA to Covered Six. They had gotten a cybersecurity program approved to add on to our very high in physical and executive protection programs at the time. And I was brought on to help flush that out. And it's it's been a fun run to teach veterans and teach a lot of individuals throughout the country uh, how to become cybersecurity professionals. So I know a conversation we have a lot, uh, both Gary and I with <clears throat> other experts across the industry, uh, is about the cyber skills gap amongst all these different companies, right? They're all looking for uh, cybersecurity experts, but, or uh, excuse me, not uh, cybersecurity practitioners, uh, but they, um, they're just not finding them. And, and this is for multiple reasons, but why do you think there is that shortage and uh, how can we, or how can companies try and help mitigate that uh, shortage itself? Well, you know, there's so much demand as part of it. The demand drives it, especially in the last, you know, half dozen to dozen years as the 
as the, the attacks have just continued to exponentially grow. Uh, we have had some changes that COVID brought on and, and some of the tactics and techniques, but from, from ransomware to all of these um, supply chain attacks, et cetera, we're just facing a growing demand space. Um, but there's a little bit of self-infliction going on in the industry. A lot of times it's kind of a running joke in our space that, you know, somebody wants an entry-level cyber person with five years of experience. So industry also needs to pull its head out and get realizing that an entry-level person does not have five years of experience. And so that's one of the Rubicons that we're really working on. And one of the reasons in our programs, we, we have so much hands-on and so much activity that is a real uh, experiences, including things like capture the flag, where we're simulating those real experiences because that can help those students instead of just going and sitting in a death by PowerPoint situation and maybe getting a cert, they really have done these things. They've used these tools. And that's one of the big things. But companies need to be wiser about look at what they're looking for out there, finding people. You know, I've found some really enlightened companies that are hiring people that have the passion, they have the, the aptitude. You know, one of uh, one of our partners that hires some of our grads they are smart enough to know if they can find the right person. And as long as they can get Security Plus, for example, in so many months, then they, they're willing to take a chance. So they love the grads coming out of our program because they've already got the vouchers in their back pocket. They've had a very intensive training program, and then they can work toward that goal. And they've been very happy with some of our graduates. But that kind of approach, as well as, um, you know, being more realistic about what, you know, a new person can do in the field, and then, to be honest, there's also the opportunity that companies have a lot of potential to sort of upscale their own staff, um, providing certain training opportunities so they can take certain maybe basic IT staff and move them into those roles internally. So there's a, a multi-pronged way that we can address this problem of the skills gap. Yeah, it's interesting. There's somebody else that we've talked to, a friend of the site who happens to be a veteran of the Marine Corps, I believe, and was talking about the skills gap. The thing that you said is, I'm looking for an entry-level employee with five years of experience. And he, his contention was that everybody's looking for the unicorn. If I'm looking mm -hmm. for someone to protect my systems, I want somebody who has exactly that experience. And he said, that's just, that's a terrible way to go after it. Find someone who's got the background, the passion, and then train them to do what you need them to do. Yeah, I totally agree. I think passion is one of the biggest things I tell my students or in A1 in every class and orientation. One of my goals with the program is to ignite their passion. You know, not that they can't be successful and just do it as a job, but that differentiator for getting, you know, if you if I'm looking at two candidates and one of them, you know, they both have similar no experience, for example, they're new to the field, they have some certs, they have some training, that person that's taken the time to get involved with the community, started to go to cons, volunteer, uh, that, you know, goes to meetups, that has built their own home lab and can talk to me about those types of things, that person is going to win every time over the comparable similar person because I can take that aptitude, I can take that drive, that curiosity, that passion, and I can train that. I can scope them to learn what I need for my job. That makes perfect sense. So you were talking about the, um, the we're talking about the workforce shortage or the cyber skills gap, whatever you want to call it. Have you noticed a difference on uh, between kind of IT traditional IT cybersecurity and OT cybersecurity. Obviously, we deal with industrial a lot. Have you noticed that it takes a different kind of person to be successful with OT cybersecurity? I'm not sure if it's a different kind of person because the skill sets are still the same, hardware, software, networking. Um, there's a different emphasis. I, I have found that 
you know, some people seem to be drawn to that if they're more practical type folks, hands-on. They like to see, I guess it's because of what OT does. It drives systems. It produces things as opposed to IT is kind of more nebulous of moving zeros and ones around uh, and storing data. Um, and so it depends on if you're more of an applied person or more of an abstract person, maybe where you're drawn to. But the basic skill sets of networking and IT, you know, ITOT, uh, software, hardware, configuration, TCP, IP, all of it's really the same. So there's still that base skill set's the same. I think there might be a slight different, you know, application of how they take their knowledge. So I know another conversation we do have a lot in the space is the types of people that end up becoming uh, cybersecurity practitioners. And a lot of them seem to come from a military background and they're pre, uh, now veterans. And I know you have definitely have a passion for that too. So what is, what do, um, I guess, veterans, they probably they must see something like within cybersecurity that really draws them to it. And I guess, what what is that appeal and how how do they end up getting into the space? And uh, yeah, I guess, what what's the main, I guess, motivator for them in that in that idea? Well, one of the things we've found, particularly at Cover 6, since we teach a range of security types of offerings, is that, you know, the, a large number of the veterans that we see, they want to continue to serve. They want to continue to, to give back, to protect the community, protect their country, their, their neighborhood, their families, their friends, in one form or fashion. Some are more aligned still to that physical side um, of physical security or executive protection. And then some are more interested in sort of the technical side of things, whether that's installing cameras and access controls or learning cybersecurity. One thing I've loved, and, and as I said, I've, I've been a teacher for the vast majority. I started teaching as a TA in grad school, and I've taught off and on throughout my entire life as an adjunct professor or different organizations. And because of the GI Bill, which is, you know, I think we should do even more for our veterans, but there's one thing I think we do fairly well for them is provide all these opportunities. So I've had the pleasure of teaching vets at all different formats from, you know, trade schools to four-year colleges to, you know, to boot camps and in between. And I've always found, for the most part, you know, veterans, they bring some discipline, they bring um, some experience, they bring some maturity uh, relative to their age. And uh, they've, you know, they've, they've learned some things from the military and some of that. And so you take that and bring that into the world of security, and particularly in cybersecurity, and it seems a natural fit. Um, and, you know, one of the things that also is sometimes a draw for some of the veterans, especially if they've served more than one tour, is that they're looking longer term, you know, maybe they enjoyed doing what they did in the military, but it was a more physically demanding job. And now they can apply themselves more mentally in something that they can carry themselves longer into their career after they get out of the military. We're honored to, to not only be GI Bill approved, but we're SkillBridge approved. So we get the opportunity to take veterans six months before they leave and train them so that when they get out, they already have the skills and potential. And so that's something that we've been uh, very proud of being able to do. And we find that our employers like uh, and our recruiting partners are very fond of the veterans for the same reason, that discipline, that, that maturity, that experience. And it's a natural fit for many of them if they have that, once again, that passion and that puzzle solving kind of aptitude. Uh, we can take tank mechanics and infantrymen and turn them into cyber people and we do it, we do it hundreds of times a year. Yeah, the next thing I was going to say was actually related to that. I know we've we've definitely noticed that a lot of the uh, people that come out of the military, like they have zero cybersecurity background in general. Like they, you know, they've been in the infantry or they've been repairing aircrafts or vehicles. And now uh, they're, I think it comes back to that same thing, that passion. Do they have the passion to do it? Then that can definitely carry them into a, a, a landscape of cybersecurity for sure. Um, 
yeah, it's just very interesting though how how that correlation has taken place and uh, how that drive that need for or longing for more service and to do right by others through cybersecurity and protecting in that way is just very interesting and very intriguing. It's interesting too because as I work with these students, you know, sometimes they don't realize that they have more tech than they thought they did. Um, I have a story that I tell um, from one of my very first beta classes. I had a young man that had served in the military, infantry, got out. He, you know, likes guns, so he went to work at a gun store. Moved up and became manager of that gun store, but sort of saw a limited horizons beyond that. And finally looked around and decided, found our program. He came to us and he was talking to me about, you know, I don't have any tech experience. And I'm like, really? So you mean to say that you live in California, one of the most regulated places in the country, and you sell guns and you are you keeping this like circa 18th century paper and pencil inventory? He's like, no, no, we've got a point of sale system, barcode scanner. I'm like, that sounds like tech to me. Or, you know, the tank mechanics, they've got equipment that they use. These tanks aren't like, you know, the granddad's tanks in World War II. These are jet engines and there's computers and tech. And so the reality is when they stand back a little bit, even though they're very applied systems for very, you know, planes, like you mentioned, repairing helicopters, whatever, they really have used more tech than they realized. And if they have a natural knack for that kind of equipment, then we just basically are taking them from a more specific piece of equipment to a more general purpose, the PC, and the, the world of computing. And I, a lot of them make that natural transition. Plus, a lot of them are young and they're gamers. I seem to find a high correlation between successful gamers and successful cybersecurity people for some reason as well. That uh, is not surprising at all. <laughs> um so let's let's get practical here. I mean, you you're through your training through CompTIA and through Covered Six. You know, oftentimes you're taking people who don't have a cybersecurity background. You're training them from the ground up. So, typically, how do people get started in a career in security? Well, <clears throat> there's a, historically, I would say in the two broad areas, whether it be the more physical side of security or this technical cyber and, and technical integration side. You know, there have been different ways. Historically, a lot of uh, physical security has been on the job training. You might get hired as a security officer or some kind of an agent or um, protective agent and then be trained by that organization and by that company themselves. And then, you know, there's been a lot of computer science programs out there at the four-year colleges and things like that. So those have been the more traditional ways. We're seeing a lot of new approaches, though, you know, kind of pop up in, in the more recent, say, you know, last 10, 12 years. Uh, that are faster models, quicker models, more certification programs or boot camps, things like that. Um, and so all of those are still options. I think some of the newer options are proving to be faster to get people to market. Do you have a, a preference yourself on what format you think works best? Well, you know, I I, I, I hate to say I have a preference because I've, I've done a little bit of everything. And I actually find that different people match with different systems. Um, you know, some people need a, a longer program. It works for them. Maybe they're going to night school, um, you know, and so if that works and that's the best you know, fit for your knowledge style and for your availability of your life, then great. Uh, so not everybody can come out with me in our program and, and commit to five weeks, 10 weeks straight to get these long, you know, these boot camps in. Um, on the other hand, if you can, if that flexibility is there, you're transitioning, just about to leave the military or have, or you're just in a position where for whatever reason you have a window that you can take that break and really dive into those types of programs, 
then they do provide a much quicker, very immersive learning system where you pretty much just live, eat, and breathe tech for, for weeks on end and really do a lot of hands-on um, activities to, to learn the skills as well as the knowledge and the concepts. Um, so, you know, I don't necessarily have a preference. I think what works best for the individual is up to them based on their own lifestyle and their own choices. We all learn, you know, a lot of people say, I learn audio, I learn this. The reality is we learn in everything. So how that's packaged, though, whether that's a five week, whether that's a 15, you know, five year or 15, you know, so many semesters, I think that's going to depend more, to be honest, on the uh, student. And then really, it's going to come down to instructors. A lot of times it really matters who the instructors are. So are there other types of training options for organizations needing to upskill staff? Yeah, that's one of the things that we also work a lot with, and I've had a lot of experience with both in my corporate world as well as the training side, is that there are so many ways and so many different organ, you know, different ways that organizations can upskill their staff. They can do it internally. You know, there's the, the lunch and learns and and sort of set up your own kind of you know, rotational training process within a corporation, within an organization, cross-train. And there's some value of that just for pure security. Like we really shouldn't let Billy be the web admin forever in case Billy ever goes rogue. So some rotation of duties, some cross-training, some of that corps can do themselves. But especially as organizations um, are fast growing, very large and dynamic, many times it benefits to, to bring in an outside phone, to come in and do customized training. A lot of times um, there's a benefit for having somebody like myself come in and say, okay, this is what you have. This is your staff skill. You're trying to get six more roles from regular IT into sort of cyber. And so this is what they know now. Let's customize a training, whether that's instructor-led on-site, online, whether that's self-paced, more LMS with a custom set of modules. The idea of sort of mapping the skills that the basically helping plug that company's own unique skill gap is basically what it comes down to. We can take some of your top techs and with the application of a little bit of knowledge and working towards some certifications, we can help upscale that organization. And in many cases, it might be easier to hire six new frontline techs and support people than it is six cyber people. You train them yourself. So as I, because you've been in the industry a long time, uh, as the time has progressed, uh, have you seen that companies are starting to try and implement these training options for their uh, staff to help upscale them or even... I guess this would be more recent just because I know this skills gap is still just such an issue, but uh, other companies are starting to offer more options in terms of uh, taking someone who does just have like that uh, long year passion to learn and actually train them on the job. Is that something that's starting to become a little more prominent? I, I think so. I've seen a number, and even the organization I worked for previously to come into Covered Six had a piece of that where we were sort of customizing our online LMS learning management system based offering both as a track that would sort of be like a whole program for somebody or we could take pieces of it and say, okay, here Corp X, you know, here's what your 10 people need to, to work through. And so I'm definitely think I see more of that, you know, historically, a lot of companies, if they haven't done a more formal type of program themselves, they've at least provided some kind of sort of educational um, stipend or kickback, pay for search, pay for training programs, have a budget for their staff. And, and if nothing else, that's a great model. I, I know a friend of mine who, who worked for Dell in, in the early days, and, and they did that. They would they had so much money for each of their engineers or their technical people to do certain trainings over the course of their year. But that's a little bit, he benefited greatly from it, but he was very driven and he wanted to take advantage and get as many certs as he could. 
other people, you know, maybe didn't. And so I think that the problem with that approach is there's no uh, no focus. They're kind of letting the employee do what they want to do as opposed to the organization going, we need X. And so let's work with somebody to, to tailor that pathway. And I, we are seeing more of that. We've done a fair amount ourselves with some of our clients and companies. And definitely that's one of my favorite things. As much as I love our fully accredited programs, um, there's a lot of um, bureaucracy involved with getting those approved and tweaking them. Whereas with a corporate or an organizational offering, if you know, someone comes to us and says, we've got six people, 100 people uh, that we need to upskill or we need to train and get certified in certain areas, then that's something that we can really rapidly respond to in a number of different ways. And it's just between us you know, and the organization. We don't have to go ask the state or anybody else for their permission on how we make that program unique for that organization. Which I'm sure makes things a lot easier. A lot easier. Yes, yes, very much. Yeah. <laughs> um, so if somebody, let's talk timeline here. So if somebody is coming in off the street and has no cyber, but we'll call him, we'll call him Tyler. He comes in off the street, has no cybersecurity skills, knowledge, and says, I, I want to get into this. I want a job. What is the timeline from I don't know anything to I can be out in the world and and sure. and working a cybersecurity job? Well, okay, so um, that'll vary a little bit, but the way we do it at our program, and it gives you at least an idea, so we have a very fast five-week boot camp kind of model. That is a commitment to, you know, these students. We we have a required eight hours a day. That's all part of that accreditation and stuff like that, so many contact hours, and then we run a study group every night that I call voluntary, but I promise you, my group, I just tell them day one, you're here to do this. Run with this live, eat, and breathe this stuff. So the vast majority of our students will stay that extra hour and a half, two hours every night. So this becomes a 10 hour plus a day commitment in classroom and study outside of what you do back at your hotel room or back at your house or about, you know, on your own. And so occasionally we actually had it happen in this very last class we graduated a week ago. We had a gentleman get all three of the certifications, our beginning class aligns, which, which is A plus, network plus, and security plus. He got all of them. He passed all four of those tests in five weeks. He joins a very select group of students. Now, that's rare. More likely, what's going to happen is we're trying to get somebody to get those first couple certs behind them, that A-plus cert, because while they may not be able to start in cyber, quote-unquote, they can start in tech. As soon as they have A-plus, they can start doing support jobs. They can do help desk jobs. They can do PC repair. They can do all these things, so they can start working. And even though we have this very quick five to 10-week boot camp programs, we actually allow our students up to a year to complete all three of the certs. And so they can come back to class digitally. They can come back to our study groups. They can ask our instructors. They're still part of our family. We don't five weeks and kick them to the door. They can come back. And we usually have a couple students setting in, just ghosting in on a class. Maybe they're working on that next cert at five, 10 weeks after they were here with us. And they'll log back in during those weeks and review that material and get ready to take that test. So it can take anywhere, you know, I would say on average that, you know, one of the things I'm very proud of is that so far, knock on wood, all the graduates of our program that have gone on to get all three certs, they're all in field. And we're very proud of that. Um, and so does that take five weeks? Very rarely, but occasionally, like the young man Mason who just did it. Or is it going to be three months or six months before they knock all three certs out and then, then be able to move, you know, fully into a more cyber role? Um, but something along those lines, really, within six months to a year, if somebody really commits, they really buckle down, whether it's us or other programs, self-taught, they knock those certs out, they start getting involved, that they can make that transition uh, because there's a lot of opportunity, as we talked about, when it comes to the gaps out there. 
Yeah, we so we talked about a bunch of different things here, whether it's been the cybersecurity skills gap or misconceptions that companies have when they're trying to hire people, new cybersecurity practitioners. If you could give, you've been teaching for a while now, if you can give one piece of advice, if, you, if there's one thing you wish more people knew about cybersecurity training, what is that thing? What would you want to tell people? Well, you know, actually, I would tell people, to be honest, if I'm speaking to the broadest audience, that is not as hard as it seems. Now, don't get me wrong. I tell my students, it's not easy. These certs aren't easy. These exams aren't easy. This knowledge isn't easy. And if it was, we wouldn't have a job. We wouldn't have job security. Uh, this is a great career. It's carried me for many years. I expect it to carry me the rest of my life. And I expect it will carry even my youngest graduates for years to come, despite AI and everything else. This field of tech and cyber is still going to have people that need to be making those human calls and being able to you know, particularly when you get past the, the the automatic bot kind of low level skip kitty attacks, you get to serious things, criminal gangs, nation states that they use AI, we use AI. People are still going to have to be in there making decisions and hoping to do it. But a lot of people, even some of my students are, they're afraid there's a lot of math. They're afraid it's just so hard. And it's like, the reality is it does take commitment. It's not just, you know, a walk in the park or everybody would do it. And but by the same token, it's not an insurmountable challenge. And the math is not as hard as most people think it is. Uh, probably the biggest thing to wrap your mind around is the whole concept of binary, which we could spend a whole talk show about. So I won't take off on that tangent. But, you know, people think the math. It's one of the big things that people think computers are math. And yeah, computers do a lot of math, but most people using them don't have to be mathematicians and PhD math, you know, even in cyber. So. It reminds me when I was in uh, going into college, I was very in, into astronomy and thought that may be something I'll do. And then I took a couple of classes and I was like, oh, this is all math. I don't think I need to do astronomy anymore. <laughs> hey, I like astronomy. I like looking up at the stars. But yeah, I'm not going to calculate the orbits and stuff. That's that's not my interest either. <laughs> yeah. But it's funny that you talk about job security. It's something we've we've had conversations about before is, you know, I think everybody is. I don't want to say overhyping. Obviously, AI is going to be a huge factor for both people who are attacking and the people who are defending. It'll be a part of it. But uh, but yeah, jobs, I mean, given all of the groups that are out there, given that the bar for entry for an attacker is getting lower with as a service, um, it feels like uh, every, every time there's a new attack leverage, there's uh, if you're looking for a job that has job security, I don't see cybersecurity going anywhere anytime soon. No, I don't either. It's funny because we've had, I remember having a debate on one of the forums a number of years ago before this blew up, but somebody started a discussion of will AI save cybersecurity? And my answer was a solid no, no more than firewalls did, no more than intrusion detection did, no more than any other thing has because we have it, they have it. The closest analogy is to me is that the cyber game we've been playing for 20, 30, whatever plus years is, is basically a digital cold war. And all we keep doing is one side ratchets up, learns a new technique. The other side ratchets up, learns a new defense. And then we learn how to overcome and back and forth and back and forth we go. And AI is just another arrow in that quiver. I don't think it's going to, it's going to change a lot. I agree with that, Gary. It definitely is going to change. And there's a lot of roles that may be really impacted. Um, but I don't think, especially cyber analysts, you know, one of the things I tell my students is be prepared for lifelong learning. You're not in this field. You're not going to come in and go, okay, I learned Kali and Python and certain tools and I'm done. I'm going to coast for 20 years. I have totally changed what I have done over 20 years. It was all DOS and command prompt in the early days. And now it's GUI and we're looking at VR, AR, you know, mixed realities. All these things are coming AI. And so the reality is you got to stay up 
but that's part of the job security. As long as you do keep that learning, you stay up with the latest and greatest, then you're going to be set for a long time to come, I do believe. Excellent, excellent advice, Lee. Thank you so much for coming on here today. It was a pleasure talking to you and good. I mean, I think this is an issue that is absolutely worth discussing, this idea that because people, there's so much conversation about the cyber skills gap. And and it's, like you said, it, it's not that it's not a difficult profession, but it's an attainable profession if it's something that, that you're interested in. And, and well, we could definitely use the bodies. We definitely can. We can use the help protecting because a lot of people are way ahead of us, at least on bodies. <laughs> thanks so much for being with us, Lee. It was a pleasure. Hey, Gary, Tyler, thanks so much for having me. It was a great time. That was Lee McWhorter of Cover 6. Fantastic conversation. Great guy. You know, I always love talking cybersecurity with these different practitioners. And he's certainly an interesting one with, uh, you know, because he doesn't, he doesn't like work in the industry in a sense of like, he's not out there protecting systems. He's out there training people on how to do it. And it's, it's an interesting perspective to have that we haven't had on the podcast yet. Very much. And you know, one, one of the things that I thought was interesting, because I've had this thought before, not that I'm planning on transitioning into working in, in cybersecurity full time, but um, this idea of like, I don't have a technical background to do that. It'd be really hard for me to get that. And, you know, he said early in the in our interview with him that like, sure, you have a technical background. Everybody has some tech background at this point. You know, he's talking about the the guy who worked at the gun store is like, do they have, have, are you working with technology in your job? How are you logging the sales? You know, I mean, gamers, like gamers generally have a pretty good technology background. I mean, look, anybody who's been born in the last 30 years has some familiarity and comfortability. Is that a mm -hmm. word? I know so. comfortability mm -hmm. with, uh, with technology. And that's all it takes. And again, it is that passion and that aptitude. And if you are willing to learn, and want to learn this stuff, there, there is training out there, whether it's through Covered 6, whether it's through CompTIA, any number of places you can go and, and, and have them learn you up. And there's also obviously university programs and things like that, more and more of those out in the world. So, you know, this is one of the ways that we can bridge that skills gap. The other thing is um, train your people. You know, if you've got people internally, train your people. So a uh, great, great conversation with Lee McWhorter. But before we uh, we close out today, I would be remiss if we did not mention we are pushing real close to September here, which is real close to October, which is Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Uh, we're doing something pretty fun for Cybersecurity Awareness Month. We're going to be bringing back a bunch of our favorite, well, I don't want to say favorite, a bunch of our podcast guests who have been on the show before going to ask them a series of questions, a series of short podcasts. We're going to be dropping two, maybe more every week uh, during the month of October to promote Cybersecurity Awareness Month, talking about the month and what people should know. Uh, uh, Tyler and I are in the process of recording some of these right now, and they've been really fun. So please, 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 if I mean, check out industrialcybersecuritypulse.com or icspulse.com if you're into the whole brevity thing. Uh, every day, but definitely check it in October. We're going to be doing some special things on the site and uh, excited to, to to show you guys. And when the time does come, uh, don't forget on your all your 
I know all of you use social media so much uh, on all of your social media posts and things related to that, especially when you're sharing both Gary and I's LinkedIn posts like you should be. Um, <laughs> make sure you're using the hashtag hashtag be cyber smart during that month. Uh, it's just a great way for, you know, people to click that click that hashtag and see everything related to that to to cybersecurity awareness month. Um, but yeah, we're very excited for you to see what we got uh, cooking up in the kitchen for for cyber awareness month. Thank you so much for joining us today for another wonderful episode of the podcast. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with a new one. Uh, as always, check out icspulse.com for all kinds of great information. We've got the podcast there. This is probably where you found it. Tons of great articles, interviews, uh, lots of good information about industrial cybersecurity, but more than that, really just about cybersecurity uh, writ large, ITOT, digital transformation, all sorts of fun things you'll find on there. So check us out and... Uh, we will talk to you again in a couple of weeks. Thanks for joining us. Stay safe out there. Really, you should stay safe out there. If there's one thing you take away from this podcast, it is that you should stay safe out there. <laughs>